Welcome captives and captive friends to episode 12 of the Global Captive Podcast, supported by legacy specialists R and Q. Your host, as ever, unfortunately, is me, Richard Kutcher, but I am joined by a very special co-host in Audrey Rampanelli, formerly risk manager for the Lowe's Corporation and a former RIMS New York chapter president when I was living in Manhattan around three or four years ago. Audrey, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Richard. I'm really happy to be here. Uh, it's great to have you on. As, as I mentioned, uh, we got to know each other a few years ago. You were very helpful to me when I when I moved to New York and a really great resource. Even though you, you weren't someone that had a captive, you were still very generous with your time. So I, I appreciated that. I presume you're okay with heights as we're, as we're recording from a very sunny downtown, sat on the 54th floor of Zurich Insurance's uh, offices. Uh, definitely the highest place I've, I've recorded an episode from. For new listeners to the podcast, please do check out our back catalogue of episodes. The easiest way to listen, subscribe for free and browse is by searching for Global Captive Podcast by utilising that little purple Apple podcast app on your iPhone or iPad or find us on Spotify, iTunes or any other podcast platform. In this episode, our captive owner interview will be with Tony Benedetto, CEO of NASW Assurance Services, which manages the captive and insurance operations for the National Association of Social Workers based in Washington, D.C. Our third guest is Zurich-based Thomas Keist of Swiss Re Corporate Solutions. We discuss the evolution and trends in reinsurance among captives. So, Audrey, excellent to have you on the Global Captive podcast. I thought it was a good idea to have a relatively local uh, co-host, uh, as we're this theme is gen- this episode is generally New York based. Uh, I'm sure many of our US listeners will be familiar with your work and your career uh, as a risk manager. But you've now founded your uh, own company, an own consulting company focused on risk management and insurtech called OnRamp Risk. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that venture and how, how, how it came about? We'd love to tell you about it. Um, OnRamp Risk is a consulting practice that has two key areas of focus, both with a risk management um, background. One is risk management consulting services uh, for corporates and organizations that are looking to take their risk management discipline to a higher level, more strategic level, and looking for solutions, um, tech-based solutions and, and other strategic elements that can be ingrained into the risk management processes. The second part of our focus is InsurTech. So the InsurTech industry is really making so many differences in, in our industry and what we offer are strategic services, strategic, strategic advisory services to startups in varying areas of their journey from bootstrap startups to more mature startups. And we help them in all areas, um, looking at things from product development, giving them insights into what risk managers and the risk management community is uh, possibly interested in and solving the solution, uh, providing solutions and solving there. Um, we help with pitch decks and different areas that they need in their in their journey. Great, because I presume it's it's useful. Having met a few uh, insurtech and risk tech startups over the last few years, and we're going to come onto this in a bit more detail later. But I presume one of the things they're often missing is that really great insight into the risk and insurance world, which is going to probably make the final difference of their product whether it's uh, whether it's effective or not yeah and and that's one of the key elements when i started looking at the insure tech industry i've always had a keen eye for the emerging risks and was very interested when risk tech and and insure tech started emerging a few years back and as i started investigating more and more what i was finding is there are such 
brilliant people, engineers, tech folks who are focused on so many different solutions that didn't necessarily have um, much experience in the insurance and risk management area. And having a lifetime professionally in the insurance and risk management field, bringing that experience to bear has been an eye-opener for a lot of the companies we work with and, and really bridges that gap between you know, the risk divide and technology. I think, I think that's great. And I think it's hopefully you know, help all of us and help all of us in the sector that it, 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 there are some great ideas out there, as you say, and there is a divide sometimes between the tech and the risk insurance knowledge. And our industry does need to digitalize a lot quicker and become more efficient. So if you can help that journey, all the better for all of us. So how have you found then the transition to working as a from from working as a risk insurance manager in house at a large corporation to now kind of on the other side of the fence as a consultant? How have you found that transition? It's been great. I've been loving it. <laughs> um, it's it really is such a different way of working. Um, you know, it gives me the opportunity to work with a variety of companies, a variety of people looking at different solutions in different areas. Um, so the variety has always been something that um, is, is very important to me. And it's just an exciting space. I mean, on the InsurTech side alone, there are so many new things that are just changing the dynamics of our industry. And being a part of that is really exciting. It's fun. Um, it's, it's the sort of thing that um, really just energizes you. And the nice thing, too, is moving from a corporate environment, it gives me the flexibility to work in different environments. You know, I have corporate clients. I still work in corporate environments occasionally. Um, as you know, need be, and then remotely, a lot of my tech-based clients are spread across the globe. So a lot of things are remote through um, different conferencing and oh gosh, yeah, yeah, conferencing, and I've become very efficient with Zoom and yes, having I, a lot of um, <laughs> a lot of those interactions. So it's been it's been great. It's been fun. So I can see you. I can see you're energized by it. You're beaming, beaming at me at the moment. So, um, so what kind? Of, you mentioned the corporate side still. So you obviously do still do some uh, some corporate consulting. So what mm-hmm. kind of what kind of risk consulting, insurance consulting are you involved with on the on the corporate side? You know, it varies. It varies. It depends on what organizations are looking for. Um, I have clients who are looking at evaluating their entire risk uh, profile and their their the way they're looking at the discipline and how they can ingrain it in more of a strategic way. Um, I work with clients on projects. I also work with not-for-profits and professional organizations that are looking to raise the awareness level and put educational uh, initiatives in place. Um, In fact, I, you know, like to get out there and have a lot of conversations, whether it's public speaking or I was at the RIMS conference doing some events there, really helping bridge that gap and raising the awareness level of the solutions that a lot of companies bring to bear. But, um, you know, on the corporate side, it really ranges in different um, elements, different projects that are needed. I still do, um, you know, some uh, of the basics, if you will, looking at insurance structures and looking at different um, placements and uh, different areas. Hopefully some captives. Yes, actually. Um, I am working with clients that have captives and are looking at different ways of using the captives, uh, looking at different innovative areas that perhaps they didn't look at before. And uh, so that's been a lot of fun. So variety. Great. Well, um, we're going to talk a little bit more about your perspective on the captive market in, in the second half because I just found out 
off air a few moments ago that you've actually got another connection to the captive world which is quite surprising i'm not sure how many uh, of our listeners will know about this but we'll come on to that a bit later so our first guest of the episode is a captive owner tony benedetto ceo of nasw assurance services which serves the insurance needs of the national association of social workers based in dc and has a really interesting structure reinsurance captive and a risk retention group and tony began by explaining the history and captive structure of NASW. NASW Assurance Services was set up, it's a C-Corp, and it was set up as a holding company. We have 28 different insurance products we offer to social workers, mostly through the association members, but some now non-members and into some allied health profession. And uh, this, all of these programs were managed originally out of an insurance trust, and at one point, um, we had a, a strategic plan and decided, you know, what else did we want to do? Uh, how else could we share the potential wealth and value of these programs to a greater degree? So we, um, we formed NASW Assurance Services with the idea that we would eventually move into a captive. That was part of the strategic plan as well. The trust was very limited in its structure, limited in what we could share with the association in terms of financial uh, compensation. And so this new form was not only to explore ways to integrate down into our programs, but to provide more value back to NESW, the association. And other than a place to procure insurance from, how does NASW Assurance Services benefit the wider mission of the uh, National Association of Social Workers? Well, we, we do a couple of things. One is we, as part of the professional liability program, we actually manage it as the what I would call the fronting carrier through a risk retention group. We also reinsure it through the captive and then we have some other reinsurance with us. We're able to take that information, that proprietary information, and we develop risk management programs. So we send out risk management speakers across the country to coach social workers on how to avoid malpractice uh, based on the information that we've learned over the years. And then those social workers that participate in those classes receive continuing education credits that they must do to keep their licensure up. So that's beneficial. Um, we've also participated with uh, the way NESW works is there's a national organization and there are individual chapters throughout the U.S. So we actually participate in the individual chapter conferences as well, not only with these workshops but with exhibit booths and other things. So we bring some income to those groups as well. What's really interesting there is we often hear that captives are should be a core risk management tool, and that's a really great live example of the of the captives and and the and the captive companies directly funding that risk management training, risk management mitigation awareness. Exactly. We probably in the last couple of years we've moved in not only to the in person shops, which are very successful because we measure them, we do surveys and so forth ask them about the material and the quality of the sessions and the speaker, but we've created a series of webinars. So these webinars are very specific on certain emerging trends. Uh, You know, the licensure in social work in some ways is similar to insurance. It's regulated on a state-by-state basis. So obviously you've got people sitting in one state and potentially working into a multitude of states. You've also got online therapies and things by phone. And so these emerging issues are really important for us to get out and talk to people what their policy covers and what it doesn't cover in these instances. And then how have the, you joined in, in 2005, I believe? Yes. Um, how have the kind of the lines and the offerings of, of the captive and the RRG kind of evolved uh, in the last 14 years? When I got there in 2005, we had had a program 
that was it was with two primary carriers, AIG and Principal Financial at the time. And over the 40 years, there hadn't been a lot of product innovation. We had a broker administrator that was managing this. And the program was very successful by insurance terms. It was profitable. Um, I think the administrator made a, you know, a nice sum out of it. Uh, the carrier made nice returns. And there wasn't not a lot of incentive to push anything forward. So we had determined that this product actually was flagship to the association. And our surveys had showed that a lot of people joined the association to get access to the association's insurance. Wow. So part of the strategy was to integrate down and control those products to bring more value, which then would bring more value to the membership. Uh, so that was part of the rationale. And we also found that um, not only informing the captive, but you get access to a lot of actuarial information that you, you never had. And we found out you know, that the program could go in a number of different directions if we could get the fronting carrier to go along. Well, you know, AIG being a company and motivated by its uh, needs and its profits, you know, sometimes product innovation is difficult. You've got a admitted company that has to go through the admitted regulatory system that takes maybe a couple of years, and the innovations we might want on a product may not produce enough return for them to spend the time and energy to do it. So by forming, we sort of fast-forwarding, by forming the RRG gave us the ability to create products. So what we did is we immediately, interestingly enough, when we formed the RRG, we cut our prices by 15% across the board tells you there's a lot of surplus in the program, a lot of profitability, which really helped the members. We added a general liability product. We added uh, a cyber liability, um, which protects our practitioners at a level that not only they can afford, but they would need if their practice was disrupted. Um, and And these are both guaranteed issue products. So we were able to take sort of our direct response platform, marry it up with the risk in the actuarial science, and bring something to the market that we, we couldn't have got out of the traditional carrier market. And presumably, you know, leveraging, as you said, lots of your members or the members of the association, sorry, they want a lot of them, the main driver for joining was the insurance product. So obviously you, you own that relationship already. You just weren't maybe benefiting from it as much as, as, as you could have been. I think so. I think, you know, the, the members were, going, were seeking, seeking general liability. If you're a practitioner and you've got a space, you've got to have a general liability policy. They weren't getting it from us, which, you know, sort of marketing 101 is you want to create barriers to your competition. Well, we were having the competition walk right in the door and hand our clients additional products, which eventually they could offer a PLI. So we're now sort of creating a series of products around our member that they don't have to go elsewhere to get products that they must have to practice. So you've already mentioned the risk retention group, which you set up in 2012. And I think just important to mention, uh, both captives are in Washington, D.C., that's correct. Yes. Yeah. So what was the rationale for adding the RRG to the the services that you offer or to your structure? Uh, The captive reinsurer was formed in 2008. So what does the RRG allow you to do that you couldn't do with with the reinsurer? Well, you know, it all started back actually in 2008. You'll remember that sort of a big ec- economic disruption. Uh, and AIG was on the front page, a lot of financial concerns. And so at that time, you know, the board had said, you know, we need, a, this is such an important program. What are our alternatives if something happens to AIG? And so we scratched our head and said, you know, we never thought about that much because AIG is who they are and they've been so successful. But we start. We launched a process into looking at a variety of alternative carriers, and what we discovered along the way was that all of the carriers, you know, 
rightfully so from their point of view, would cap the participation in, in the captive. And that we still didn't see the potential for a lot of product innovation. So we'd be sort of right where we were, but with a different carrier. Uh, then we started investigating the RRG. So in this process, it took a number of years to, to reach the conclusion that we wanted an RRG, and then time to get across all of the boards, including the association's board, to gain agreement uh, to form the RRG. So you had business plans and specifications and meeting with volunteer board members, which maybe only happens two or three times a year. So our, our while we thought it was pretty aggressive to be able to you know achieve this in five or six or seven meetings, that those meetings took several years. But we, we concluded we did want to form the RRG. Everybody was in support of it. And I think the success has been now is we have about 70,000 members of the RRG wow. who purchase insurance. Um, and I think it's been a great success. The captive so far has done very well in taking reinsurance positions from the RRG, which lowers sort of the capital requirements and passes off some of that uh, not only to our captive but to our reinsurer. And then most recently, we've started looking for ways to, you know, further these programs and see where else we can take them. So, and also, I believe the the captive reinsurer, you do use a captive manager for that, but you chose to self-manage the RRG. Can you just explain maybe uh, why why the the difference of approaches? Well, we started out as we were working with a really good partner, Beecher Carlson, and uh, we started out with captive and they were managing it and then with uh, the RRG and they managed that as well. And we came to a place with the captive that we had acquired enough expertise in-house. When you're trying to marry up all the information and report up uh, through these multiple companies into a nonprofit, uh, you need a fair amount of expertise to form that information in a way that it is uh, palatable to individuals that serve on volunteer boards that may not have business backgrounds. So we found ourselves taking the traditional captive information and translating it into our language and our analysis and our ability to say, you know, what are the key drivers of the program from a social work perspective and so forth. So at some point we said, hey, you know, I think we have enough people here to just sort of manage the captive internally, um, and which is what we did. Now we still, the RRG is still managed by Beecher, and it, the RRG is very complicated uh, management program and RRG does a great or Beecher does a great job with that but we found a lot of value and actually some savings uh, now that we're self-managed we're using the same individuals that we already had on staff um, so we sort of translated that captive fee internally to an expense center The Global Captive Podcast is supported by R&Q, the award-winning provider of exit solutions for legacy liabilities and companies in runoff. R&Q can provide a wide range of solutions and has A-rated paper across the United States and Europe. LPTs, novations, business transfers and acquisition are all frequently used and tailored to the seller's requirement whether in runoff or fully active but seeking greater efficiency. If you have legacy, you should talk to R&Q. So, Audrey, I understand that while you were responsible for overseeing risk management and insurance procurement at Lowe's, which is a very large uh, conglomerate, you did, and you did consider on numerous occasions forming a captive uh, for the group. You never quite took that leap, did you? What was, what was, why weren't you joining us in the captive world? You know, it, over time, we did captive feasibility studies and looked at various. Um, potential structures and things you know it, it's 
It's a process, and I think every organization looks at things from their perspective, and they look at how they need to structure things. And you know, the decision you know, at the time while I was there was, you know, it wasn't really the time, or the readiness wasn't there, or what have you. So it, it's, um, you know, with any organization, um, it's great to go through the process and yeah. evaluate it. And and I think that's always a positive thing. And it was great that. While I was at Lowe's, we were able to do that. So going through the captive feasibility study and evaluating. And it's like with any with any organization, with any business, you have so many different alternatives. You have very many options. And you have to weigh those options and look to see what makes the best sense for you and your organization. You know, it might have made sense for one company, not another. So it's choices that are relevant for the organization. You, t- you touched on it there, but I, so you, I guess the message there is regarding feasibility studies, even, even if you don't end up forming a captive, I presume you still learn quite a lot about your own risk profile, your own, your own insurance strategy, how that might change, not including the captive, but it, you might uncover something you weren't quite sure about or didn't understand before. Yeah, it is. I, it's like with any journey. It's, it's the process that sometimes is almost more important than um, you know where you ultimately end up. It, it's or equally important at least. Um, so the big thing is to look at what alternatives are there, and and really go through the process. And you do find out things. You learn things about your risk tolerance, your risk profile. Um, you know just everything um, that perhaps wasn't as clear before. You learn new things along the way. So it, it's it's something that I think every company should go through, particularly now as markets are hardening. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's really a terrific opportunity timing-wise if companies haven't done that to really at least have start evaluating it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So as, as a relative outside event, and I'm outside it in quotation marks, and don't mean it as as a slur. Um, what has <laughs> what what's what's your general perception then of the captive market and the cap and the captive industry i see it as an insider i would describe myself even though i'm a journalist i would describe myself as an insider i see us as quite a close-knit group as a as an industry but i'm not i'd be interested to know how that's perceived outside of the captive market or just do you see it as just a part of the wider commercial market quite honestly i see it as part of a wider commercial market um you know i I think it's like with any organization, any group, I mean, there are a lot of different professional associations. You've got groups that are a bit very cohesive and and work together. So the captive part of the industry is no different than any other part of the industry, but it's part of the industry. And and so from that perspective, I do see it as really kind of an inclusive thought where there are solutions there that may not not be uh, the same as what you get in the commercial marketplace. And... You know, it's part and parcel with it. And as I hear uh, the chatter in the industry, more and more insurers are really gravitating and, and very accepting of companies that are uh, working in the captive arena. And it's really a partnership more than um, competition. Yeah, no, definitely. That's definitely an evolution that happened, I think, before uh, before my time coming into the captive industry uh, six years ago. Um, but, but what I'm quite keen to ask you about is you actually do have, uh, through family, quite a unique backstory with regards to, to captives. So uh, I believe you, you met your future husband in, in Burlington. Well, husband now, but yes. Yes, yes husband now, yeah. <laughs> You might get him worried if I uh, <laughs> talk about a future husband. So, yeah, so no, tell, tell, um, tell me about this. Yeah, so captives, um, 
They hold a, a very, they're very near and dear to my heart, if you will. When um, this was before Lowe's, I worked for the Rockefeller family. I was the vice president overseeing the not-for-profit and for-profit entities from a risk management and insurance perspective. And at the time, they had a captive based in Vermont. And uh, we took turns with the VCIA conference. And one year, it was my, my turn to go. So uh, I was unfortunately a late entrant to the registration process, so I got closed out of golf. Didn't have a chance to do that, because um, they start off the event yeah. at the time with, you had a choice between golf and a 26-mile bike tour. And I thought, golf? <laughs> and I got closed out of golf, so okay, it was the 26-mile bike tour. And I met the risk manager from Warehouser at the time, Sherry Hawkins, and we hit it off really nice. Uh, and had a great time at the end of the event. Everyone converged to the golf course for a cocktail party and reception. And we sat down and Sherry looked across at this gentleman and said, oh, Graham, have you met Audrey? And he said no, and she introduced us. And um, long story short, we got married a number of years later, but, um, but yeah, met at VCIA. And, and Graham, a number of years ago. And Graham, Graham worked for one of the original captive management firms. Yes, yeah. He uh, was president of IRMG in Bermuda, based out of Bermuda, um, uh, the captive management company that was formed by Fred Rice. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, he was living in Bermuda at the time, did the long-distance relationship. Yeah. But now eventually, well, you, you know the story, IRMG got bought out uh, by Aon. Yeah, so um, I guess a couple of years after we met, he moved, he retired from the business, moved up to New York, and um, our relationship continued, and we got married a few years later. Great, well, it's, yeah, it was just, I, well, I thought we knew each other quite well, but I never knew that about, about, <laughs> about Graham, so uh, yeah, really, really interesting, almost, almost captive royalty, probably. Um, yeah, okay. we'll, we'll have to go celebrate our uh, anniversary in uh, Vermont. In Burlington, yeah, you yes. should be, come to VCA next year. Yeah, well, <clears throat> next year will be the 25th anniversary of the day we met. Well, okay. Well, you need to be there. Well, we we will have to make let's, sure. Let's make it happen. We'll get we'll get you onto a we'll get you onto another episode of the podcast to give you an excuse to go up there. Okay. Well, our third guest today is Thomas Keist, head of marketing for Innovative Risk Solutions at Swiss Re Corporate Solutions. We started by actually disagreeing on what a Swiss accent is, and Thomas put my Thomas put me in my place on that one. But we also got onto more serious issues, discussing reinsurance strategies, ILS for captives, and underwriting solutions that might aid captives in complying with the OECD's base erosion and profit shifting initiative. Hi, Richard. I'm very glad to be here at uh, your famous podcast in the meantime i think realize i'm the first guy with a swiss accent on this podcast probably well paul verman came on one episode ago so you just paul verman out did you that's a german accent that's not a swiss accent (laughs) (laughs) okay so uh, i'm part of a global team within swiss three corporate solutions we are looking after everything that's called innovative risk solutions Uh, it's basically three streams if you like Mostly uh, things, everything around captives, number one, number two, parametric insurance, and number three, a lot of works around uh, insure tax and also what we call non-physical damage BI product development. My role is uh, I'm part of that team. I'm looking mainly after Germany and UK, but also traveling around the rest of Europe. 
And in regards to Swiss Re's relationship with, with captives, what role does uh, Swiss Re play when working with corporate captive owners or the captive ecosystem? That is a good question. Actually, did you know that Swiss Re Corporate Solutions, if you go back to the roots of this company, I mean, Swiss Re Corporate Solutions is the insurance arm of Swiss Re Reinsurance Company. This goes back to the late 80s, when the first business model that Swiss Re Corporate Solutions, which was then called International Business, was basically going for, was reinsuring captives of large corporates. That's how it all started. Mm-hmm. So if you, you can basically say, uh, so captives business, captive reinsurance, uh, supporting captives is, the, is, is a, root, a root of Swiss Re Corporate Solutions. And then, obviously, a, a large part of your involvement is what, we, what you call innovative risk solutions. What, what do you mean when we talk about innovative risk solutions? Yes, uh, you know, everybody claims to be innovative, right? So what is innovation, really? So what we can see is, as I said before, we have three streams, one being the parametric solutions, captive business, as well as uh, insure tech and non-physical damage BI. So from these developments from these uh, customized solutions we do in the beginning, eventually standardized products will emerge and they will basically change the insurance world as we know today. And uh, this, is, uh, this is basically what innovation means. Innovation is then when it has become very successful. And one piece that has become very successful over the past 25 years is actually captives, the captive industry and the business model of captives. And talking about successful, there's lots of very successful captives in their own rights within, within Europe, particularly some large captives, some growing captives. As they grow and they take on more risk, how can captive owners make full and effective use of the reinsurance market? Yes, they can. I mean, you have to look at uh, the business models that captives have. In many instances, basically, it is also an arbitrage model. So you basically access the reinsurance market because for the corporate, the, the, the parent behind the captive, it's actually the better, cheaper and more efficient solution to access the reinsurance market than just the insurance market. So arbitrage is one of the, you know, key drivers of many, many captives. On the other hand, what you also have by accessing the the reinsurance markets, you have the most flexible, agile solution to your capital requirements that you can think of. Any other, if you think about it, reinsurance is basically a capital surrogate. So if you think about it, any other option that you have out there in the capital markets is much more complicated, much more unflexible and much more difficult to get than reinsurance. And then one of, one of the huge disruptors of the global reinsurance market in recent years has been insurance linked securities and the capital markets coming in, into the captive into the reinsurance world. Sorry, and we haven't seen so much activity or participation by captives in such structures, although there have been a few isolated examples. Do you believe more captives could or should be exploring the utilization of the capital markets and ILS structures in the future? They should definitely have that on the radar. However, I believe, as I said before, one of the most flexible solutions to, uh, uh, to capital protection of captives is reinsurance, number one. Number two, for ILS solutions, you need a very, ho- very large and homogeneous portfolios. 
And by the way, in, 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 in many instances, to go to the capital markets is not a cheap option. So you, unless you have very large, very homogeneous portfolios that you could basically bring to the, to the table, uh, I believe it's not so simple to go for ILS. And then just, just lastly, Thomas, um, I know in my previous role when I was at Captive Review, one um, area and product that we spoke about quite a bit, 2017, 2018, was an insurance solution for captives concerning uh, BEPS. Can you outline this briefly for our listeners and uh, how much interest has there been in this product since, since we last spoke? So I think what is important to understand is I believe that going forward with all the regulations and the ever-increasing scrutiny of tax authorities, but also other authorities coming from various uh, interest groups, uh, it is more and more common that uh, captives do partner very strongly with with an insurance company to have them on the side and to have them support to help them bringing evidence for whatever they do to the table by having them as a strong partner. And that's the approach we took when we looked at BEPS and what this, what this means for captives. So what we are offering, uh, what we're offering there is that Swiss Corporate Solutions participates in the net retention of the captive via a simple quota share and in addition provides documentation of how pricing is done. This way, because we believe Swiss Corporate Solutions is a very, very credible market, a very credible insurance company, we can help the captive owner to bring evidence to the tax authorities that whatever they do is actually very, very solid. And, uh, you know, you were asking about uh, the demand for this. So uh, the demand is increasing dramatically since about one year. Uh, I think it has, you know, the topic at BEPS has moved up in the priority a lot in the last year and it will go on. I'm very sure about that. So as we touched on at the beginning, Audrey, you're now uh, very heavily involved and, and demonstratively uh, passionate about the insure tech and risk tech arena. Why does this area particularly pose such an interest to you? There are so many terrific solutions that are being created now that I wish that I had when I was in the corporate risk management uh, position because, you know, you go through life and you have all of these different issues and you've got pain points that you try to find terrific solutions for. And over time, technology has evolved and now technology just has exponentially changed things where solutions now are being created that are making the life of a risk manager so much better and and really able to bring the profession so much further. That, you know, I wish I had so many of those solutions myself. I used to drive our, our tech team crazy when I was at Lowe's with, you know, I have this issue. Could you help me build something because there's nothing out there? And they were great. They were wonderful to work with because they would come up with all of these great solutions for me. We built our own Rima system because there really weren't Rima systems yeah. way back when when I was looking at them. So fast forward to today, so many brilliant solutions being brought to the table that are just game changers. It's, it's really what that's really what pulls me and excites me. It's those solutions that just change the way business is being done. 
So, as we know, there are a lot of startups in this space, you know, vying for oxygen uh, and for attention and for business. And I, 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 well, I know that the large brokers and large carriers have inboxes full of requests for meetings and promises that Startup X or such and such has the magic solution for them, which will transform their efficiency and their whatever. Um, where do you see the genuine potential for genuine disruption in the risk and insurance market? Oh, that's a great question. Um, well, I, I see it less as a disruption than more of a collaborative effort. You know, there, there are so many different tech solutions out there. Sometimes it's just blindingly crazy because you've got all of these fabulous things. How do you choose? How do you know what works? Um, and, and what sometimes happens is people look at the tech and try to find a use case for it. Yeah. And that's really putting the cart before the horse. Um, the, the smart money, if you will, in my view, is on finding out what your pain point is, what's your use case, and then trying to match the solution, the technology, to what you need. You know, you can't go, oh, blockchain, that's really fascinating. Let's try to use it, and let's find a place for it. You really need to find out what the issue is first and see what solutions. You know, if blockchain works, great. If not, that's fine too. But you really need to go to the core at what you need and then build from there. Um, so th there's just so much out there that um, companies can choose from that um, it's, you know, it's, it, it is game changing. Um, but again, I see it a lot as more of a collaborative effort. You know, everyone building together. Okay, well, that brings an end or almost an end to episode 12 of the Global Captive podcast. Thank you to all of our guests in this episode, Tony Benedetto of NASW Assurance Services, Thomas Keist at Swiss Re Corporate Solutions, and of course, my co-host, Audrey Rampanelli at On Ramp Risk. Hopefully, we'll see you again soon. Hopefully, we'll see you in Burlington next year for that 25th I, anniversary. I look forward to it. And thank you so much for having me here. This has been great. It's been a lot of fun. It has really been. Really enjoyed it. Absolute pleasure. Episode 13, uh, the next episode of the podcast will be released on Sunday, the 18th of August. And it will be a special one, all recorded from the VCIA conference with our guest co-host being Dan Toll, president of Seeker. Please don't forget to visit our website, globalcaptivepodcast.com, and give us a follow on LinkedIn. See you next time, captives.